Hey everyone, Liam here, one half of Breaking Bread, the Birmingham-based food podcast that is usually presented by me and my food-obsessed brother from another mother, Carl. So during these special kind of lockdown episodes, it's just me. Carl's still flat out working, so yeah, it's just me. How's everyone doing? Hope everyone's well, keeping safe. Big thank you to anyone who listened to the last episode with Lewis from Flock. They've just been working flat out on that the last week. So if you go on there now, there's even more stuff than when it was launched. And when we done the podcast, it, there's loads of wines and beers and stuff on there. Really appreciate everyone who listened to that episode. And welcome back for this episode. It's brilliant, really. It's one that I've kind of wanted to do for a while. And unfortunately, now seems to be probably a good time to do it it's with mark and alan from ncas which is the national caterers association basically a really great organization that are just doing amazing things for the kind of mobile traders and it's not just as you'll get you're here in the podcast it's not just for mobile traders they have a few restaurant owners as members as well if you go onto their website you'll see they offer like lots of practical courses help with like due diligence and help with EHO and basically just some great advice on how to get started really. This podcast came about with the help from Joe Green from The Relationship so a massive thank you to Joe for sorting this out for us. A lot of the mobile traders and a lot of the members of NCAS have found them kind of found themselves have kind of they've kind of slipped the net a little bit if you like for a lot of the government grants and a lot of the kind of relief packages that are just not suitable for a lot of their members so instead of sitting back I think they've felt the responsibility of having to kind of lobby support for and go to the government and see if there is anything they can get for their members um, and on top of that then they're, they're kind of advising they're giving out great advice as a, a pack which if you haven't downloaded yet, I really suggest you go and have a look at it because it's just full of great information and ideas for if maybe there is something you can do. You don't have to be just sitting at home. Obviously, if you feel like that's the best thing you can be doing and that is the only thing you can be doing, that's fair enough. But there's a lot of the street food traders have been doing great things, really. I mean, obviously, we speak quite a bit about OPM in the episode OPM's down in Sturchley and you can get delivery from their restaurant in Digbeth as well so that's one of the cool we hear about Disco Fries who are doing amazing things a lot of the traders are helping out with the NHS charity meals for the NHS so yeah basically we just I just wanted to have a chat with the lads and we do get into a little bit about street food obviously this isn't normal time so it's not really a normal episode so we don't really go down the whole kind of we don't get as deep as i'd normally like to about street food and the history of ncas if you're listening to this and you hopefully you'll hear how helpful ncas could be to your business if you maybe you're thinking about starting off maybe you've lost your job in all the madness and you're thinking you've always had that dream of going and starting your own food business food's always been a secret passion of yours but you've had a a decent job and you've always found reasons not to go ahead and pursue that passion well now might be a good time to do that and if you are thinking about doing that even before you do anything else i would strongly recommend you even if you don't join NCAS, at least get on their website and have a little mooch around because it's just it's jam-packed full of everything you need to know, all kinds of information that will help you out. And as the lads say in the episode, they've had, they've had beers with most of the big names in the Birmingham street food scene. Just a really, really good episode. As I said, some great advice for any traders who are wondering what they could be doing or obviously I'm pretty sure you would have went straight to Alan or Mark or NCAS yourself but maybe this spurs you want to go and do something about it or as I said you've you're thinking of a change of career maybe this kind of 
wet your whistle, gets you excited about doing it again and maybe it gets you to take that first step of going and taking your idea to NCAS and having a little read on what you need to do to make it into a reality. Obviously if you do enjoy this episode, as with all episodes, um, we'd really really appreciate it if you could just give us a nice little five star rating on Apple Podcasts, not just because we're vain but because it really does help more people to hear the podcast. Apple's just like every other Facebook and Instagram all them algorithms. It has one on the Apple charts as well. So I mean the more comments and reviews and ratings we get, then the more discoverable the podcast becomes. So it would be a massive help if you could just go and do that for us and or even if you're not listening to it on Apple, go and just tell a friend, tell someone about it. Or maybe you know someone who's been wanting to start their own little street food business or food business and never got round to it. This might help them. So yeah, hope you all enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark and Alan. Probably not go too negative and... I like because I listen to your uh, both of your live the broadcasts on Facebook. Yeah, your webinars, and I kind of liked how you, like the first one was long, obviously, and you you kind of finished with saying like, "Oh, we do want to get into some of the success stories." And Joe was saying earlier that there's there is some uh, case studies that she sent over, and so there is good things happening as well. It's not all doom and gloom. So there's loads of good things happening. There's yeah. I mean, I, I really see this as, I mean, we can sort of get into it a bit more when we get started, but um, unless we already have started. Um, sure. um, I see it as like a complete reset. Um, there's a really good webinar um, called Beanstalk, I think. I can send you the link on it. And it was really industry focused. It's about fresh food um, and basically farmers and growing stuff in England uh, and then sort of bringing in the global picture. Um but I, I really like those things. They're like super nerdy, but you get really honest opinions. Um, and I got asked to do one a couple of weeks ago and everyone on there was, it was kind of just after COVID had hit. Um, and everyone was trying to say, you know, that we think there's kind of a reset here. Um, you know, nothing, like how can anything go back to how it was before? Um, this experience will change people. Um, and so this is just like a, Shouldn't you be saving this for the uh, for the podcast, Mark? Oh, I can, yeah, I can, you know, I mean, I'll talk all day. But, well, I am like, recording. You know, but, like, I, I, just, I always record from the beginning, just, to, <laughs> just in case. But I mean, I, I just, I just think it's like that. Be interesting to talk about that. I think maybe I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on on that. If you just introduce yourselves really and tell us how you kind of got involved with Encas, uh, Mark, do you want to go first? I think you'll be quicker. I might be. Um, I, it also I met Al at a festival actually about fifteen years ago. Um, but I ended up I basically used to go to loads of music festivals and raves, and I loved food. Um, and I ended up becoming really good mates with Al, and we shared a love of festivals and food. And yeah, over time, um, I guess I kind of yeah I, I wanted to change from what I was doing, so uh, I gave Al. We ended up going to a gig, a prodigy gig. And then we got really drunk. And afterwards, I was just like, Al, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't even know what he did, really. But I was like, give me a job, you run a company, give me a job. Um, and then we ended up having this really weird chat. And then um, a couple of days later, we chatted about this energy. I was working in energy at the time. Where I told telling him about that. And a couple of days later, an energy company contacted NCAS and they phoned me and said, does this sound like it's reasonable? Um, and I kind of, yeah, chatted to them about that. And they said, well, if you come and do the deal, you we think about giving you the job, so uh, up I came to Birmingham and, and started at NCAS. So I guess that's the short version of it. Alan, obviously things were a little bit different for you. You didn't have, did you have a much choice in joining NCAS? Or? <laughs> um, yeah, did I, I had a ch- well, I, I had a choice in the sense of uh, you know, Dad wasn't forcing me to join, but at the time I was a bit, um, yeah, I was a bit, uh, I was bit stuck really I wasn't sure what I wanted to do uh, I was just actually come out of uh, my friend uh, one of my best friends who was actually recently last year my best man um, he was running uh, he was operating a subway store in Sally Oak um, which is actually one of the first 
uh, Subway stores, I think, in Birmingham. I think, yeah, I think it was. Um, and so I was, yeah, helping him manage that. Yeah, that sort of, um, <laughs> that, that sort of, uh, that came to an end. And then, yeah, I was a little bit stuck as to do. So back then, um, yeah, dad was sort of running NCAS on his own in a garage. So sort of said, do you want to come and give me a hand? And and I did. And yeah, we sort of did that for, you know, together. We did that for about, uh, probably about 12 months before, yeah, before uh, we did, before um I gave Mark a call, like he was just sort of talking about, and then sort of said, Mark, why don't you come and join us in Birmingham? And then, yeah, literally Mark moved, packed his bags, moved up to Birmingham, I think within about a week. Uh, I was living in my house with with, uh, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, um, lived with us for about, what, six months, Mark, something like that? Yeah, pretty much on their sofa. Yeah. Yeah, with a toddler running around. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't handle it at all. Yeah, I was and, in the uh, duvet in the car to work. So I was so cold. I couldn't <laughs> believe how cold Birmingham was. I think it was like the coldest winter we've had since as well. Like it's never been that cold since. But like I was literally like, where have I moved to? This is the coldest place on earth. Um, so how did NCAS start, Alan? So NCAS started originally. Um, it was actually back in the eighties. It was originally set up by a group of mobile caterers that clubbed together and basically, you know that very different scene back in the 80s as, as you can imagine but it's a group of mobile caterers i think predominantly around the midlands actually um that sort of club together and said right if we sort of join forces a little bit here we can probably get a little bit more done so sort of joined up as a collective uh which was then set up as the mobile and outside mobile and outside caterers association uh and then dad got involved because mum and dad well yeah dad got involved because he was uh, running a, a business at the time and this was I'm going now skipping forward to the sort of mid 90s uh, and he yeah uh, his business went under and um, yeah mum and dad needed something to do and there was someone literally a neighbor that had a catering trailer that said well I've got this catering trailer going spare why don't you use it and so mum and dad did that because they were on the dole um, and they took this catering trailer took it to Cranmore Industrial Estate in Solihull we um, should point out that they'd stopped claiming the doll when they went out trading. Absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, and so they started uh, mobile catering and started on this uh, pitch in on Cromwell Industrial Estate and were selling. I started off selling, you know, typical sort of wares, but um, then sort of thought, okay, uh, there was other catering trailers in the area, you know, as always in our game, it's, 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 Certainly on, on pitch trading, the competition could be pretty fierce. So they thought, right, well, how are we going to sort of stand out here? So went along to the to the butchers and, and, and um, yeah, just sort of did a, I guess a, you call a deal, started picking up sort of a bit more high quality sort of sausage and bacon and started to make a bit of a name for themselves doing that. And then started getting into the world of events and started doing well. And then dad got invited into Mocha. And then Mocha started to, it slowly sort of, Became to disband a little bit, so Dad saw an opportunity there. Um, Dad is Bob, by the way, um, and then yeah, took that over, um, which was yeah mid to late nineties, and then into yeah two thousand and three, I think it was. I really should have done my research beforehand or spoke to my dad, but yeah, two thousand three. <laughs> it then got rebranded as NCAS, and then I joined a couple of years later, two thousand five. Um, yeah, and back then we only had. Uh, yeah, about 500 members, 500 members strong back then. And we were trading out of a garage. It was me and dad for the, like that year or so. And then Mark came along and it was the three of us literally working out of dad's garage. How many members have you got now? Uh, so we're up to over 6,000 now. So yeah, we've come a, come a bit of a long way. Yeah, that's a yeah, fair amount of uh, traders. It's been quite a journey. But I, mean, I think there's been quite, there's been a couple of different like phases in mobile catering over the years. And you know, when when Mocha would have started, it would have been your, you know, your people on uh, ice cream rounds and people doing burger vans on the side of the road and and those kinds of things. And the events industry wasn't that big back then, or like the festival industry wasn't that big. Um, and then the nineties happened, and all the raves got pushed into uh, being legal and being licensed. And so you had this all of a sudden, you know, festivals weren't for hippies they were for everyone or for you know for, for for a bigger portion of the population and they kind of really took off 
So yeah, the, in Glastonbury got went from you know ten thousand people to nearly two hundred thousand people in, in sort of ten years. So the festival industry taking off really um, gave a boost to mobile catering in terms of how many people were doing it, and uh, and also the, t- the type of people doing it uh, changed, I guess, or was added to by more diverse mix of people. Uh, and then obviously the last ten or so years, street foods has happened. So. Uh, that's that's just been incredible in terms of you know, the number of people getting involved and the the, the dishes they're doing and the you know, the events that are going ahead and the, the the quality and the fun that's out there with it or was before this pandemic. Um, you know, so I think there's been two two big sort of changes in in mobile catering in that time um, that have kind of been a big boost. I don't think it's it's not me and Alan Bob that went out and convinced six thousand people that to, to hand over their money. It's the fact that you know, the, the industry was growing and we were supporting it to grow. Um, and is it, it helped. Is it just, Go on, sorry. sorry, Mark, is it still just um, mobile traders you cover? Is there like, has it changed a bit? Is there some restaurants or anything? Yeah, we, we have we have quite a few restaurants. There's a lot of our really successful mobile caterers end up getting restaurants or getting fixed site premises. Uh, it can make sense because then you've got a prep kitchen. Uh, you can sort of double up and you can hedge your bets. Uh, and also it can be pretty brutal being a mobile caterer. The weather's not always great. It's, it can be quite high risk. There are all kinds of problems like staffing and various other issues. So, um, yeah, I think that we, we get a lot of people that will grow into a restaurant, so baked in brick or meat shack or OPM, uh, three local examples, uh, there's loads more. Um, and, and they, uh, yeah, they sort of grew into, grew into it with us and then they stayed with us. And then we have those that, uh, more recently have come to us for various different reasons. I guess that we've been more open to independent food businesses in general um, and we kind of align with their uh, their viewpoints and their their world views and, and we provide a hopefully a very good and very, very uh, valuable service. Um, yeah, I think on, on top of that as well, like, I mean, we're approximately 20% of our customers are of what we call fixed sites um, compared to the to, to the mobile guys. Um, I think ultimately, you know, because of the services that we that we offer and the benefits that we're that we're looking to provide, you know, I think you know ultimately if you if you cook and sell food, then those benefits, you know, they suit and you know the, there's not a great deal of difference really, other than the fact that you know, some guys have the ability to move around and some guys have the ability to stay where they are and, and wait for people to come to them. But, you know, if you're cooking and selling food, then, you know, your needs as a business are ultimately very, very similar. Um, and so therefore our, our services, you know, certainly, you know, work work for both uh, mobile and, and fixed sites. So um, yeah, about 80 to 20% approximately at the moment. What services is it that you offer? Uh, so that's, a, that's the key question. So I'm, I mean, our mantra is to help our members stay safe, legal and profitable. Um, so we do that through the benefits that we provide through the membership offering. So ultimately, what we're looking to do is help you take care of your legal requirements. You know, so that's um, mainly legal requirements are making sure that you've got the right training in place, making sure that you've got the right documentation. So that's known as, uh, as due diligence predominantly. Um, You've also got to have liability insurance, which we uh, which we we've got to deal with a broker, which we can help you arrange. Um, but um, in terms of the benefits, yeah, so training documents, um, help with insurance. Um, we also send out work opportunities. So Mark does a lot of work um, working with event organisers, um, or certainly did up to uh, certainly did up to the last six weeks anyway. Um, We're still talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not yeah. about when the festival is gonna happen yeah just, yeah exactly um so yeah we send out work opportunities which is when where we've got a service called connect where trade uh, event organizers can come to us and say what traders they need and for what and then we'll then um, send out that relevant job to the relevant caterers that tick those boxes that they need so you know pretty much based upon what food they want etc um and on top of that there's plenty of other stuff as well like we've got some in line with the trying to help our members stay profitable, we've got cashback deals in place. So we've got deals with the likes of Booker so that members that do uh, shop with Booker can earn cash back there through NCAS membership. Um, also deals with Calor as well. So, you know, a lot of our guys use a lot of LPG. 
So that's pretty beneficial. And then we're looking to introduce more. Uh, we've got one with Biopack, so that's all on sustainable packaging. So, um, yeah, we're just trying to help our members sort of, um, you know, pretty much with everything, really. Um, the most important thing as well, which totally, totally missed out, is, is I think most of the key benefit is the advice and support that we offer um, and the guidance that we provide. Um, every member gets a dedicated account manager assigned to them. And they can tap into that advice and support whenever they need it, whenever they need to, really. Um, so yeah, yeah. Even you've got um, you got someone to fight your corner when there's a pandemic going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what we try and do is, I mean, all of our we try and distill really complicated uh, legal jargon into something that uh, food businesses can uh, achieve. So safe food, uh, safe business practices complying with all of their legal requirements, whether that's employment or food law um, and, and everything in between. So all of our, all of the work that we put out in terms of training, risk assessments, uh, codes of practice, things like that, is all um, is all written and audited by uh, food safety experts. And it's it's got primary authority status. So it means it's audited by, in our case, two separate local authorities. Um, to make sure that it's absolutely bang on, it's, it's good advice that will help a food business. So it's more about there's so many different things you have to comply with across so many different fields from health and safety, food safety, fire, and then various other different things, uh, even down to you know, where, where you, whether you can put oil down your um, down your drains. Uh, that we kind of you can't put it into uh, put it all into something that's easy to understand and to manage and to. To, to deliver safely so we try to make life easy take all the boring stuff uh, and make it easy and um, you know take it off your hands yeah exactly exactly that liam like we try we try and act as a one-stop shop for an independent coping business you know our job is to you know give you the tools that you need to help you run your business really so that you can just go out there and do what excites you as a trader which is to cook and sell food um yeah. and in doing that put a smile on people's faces we're there to take care of and to help you guide you through all the other bits and pieces that you don't want to be thinking about but you have to think about i mean i think that you know we've we've got to do it in a way that makes sense to everyone and makes makes sense of it so it gives them a reason why they're doing it you know you've got to keep this clean for this reason you know this is what will happen yeah. if you don't uh, and treat everyone like adults but also make it very easy to understand uh, and to implement because we have people from every corner of the world uh, in our membership. We have, you know, you don't necessarily get into cooking burgers because you love academia and you, know, you love, you know, reading books and stuff. It's you know, some of our guys are very practical and, you know, they just want to get out, get out there and create and, and be productive and they don't want to be sat in front of a computer or sat reading pages of books and things like that. So uh, we've got to make it accessible for them. So in their busy lives, they can sort of take it on board and, and, and deliver it when they work. That's cool. So it, it's fair to say if anyone's even thinking about starting up the road street food or catering business, then signing up to NCAS would be a really good idea to do. Obviously, you're biased and you can say, yeah. Yeah, we're biased. <laughs> we can't really comment. I mean, I, 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 I would. I definitely would. Um, I definitely would too, yeah. Give us a call and, you know, we'll, we'll have a chat with you and, um, and hopefully you'll think it's worth it. And, and if we don't think it's worth you joining, we'll probably tell you. And if we do, we'll tell you that too. So we're pretty upfront with people. Um, yeah, we yeah. succeed and you know, we don't want to encourage people to do things they can't do or, or vice versa. So, um, yeah, if, if you're thinking about getting into catering, check us out online or, or, or give us a call. Um, we'll chat about it. We won't hard sell anything to you. We just Ultimately, sorry, Mark, ultimately we exist to help caterers. That's what, that's what we do. That's, you know... From the first day that I started at NCAS, honestly, from the first day, the, what I found so rewarding about the job was, was just when you pick up the phone to someone that's got an idea and they're like, right, you know, and maybe they're in a bit of a, you know, a bit of a mess in their lives. They've just lost their job or maybe they're just looking to do something different or maybe it's an idea that they've thought about and they've never actually you know, really, really explored or, you know, had the conviction to carry through. And they call us because they've Googled us or they've found us and they come across us. And then having that that chance to be able to talk to someone about their idea um, and about this new venture in their career or their life, 
you know, and having the experience and the knowledge to be able to help them and guide them through it and tell them all, you know, whether whether or not it's talking about the legal requirements and what they need to do, like we talked about, or whether or not they're sort of bouncing an idea off us. And, you know, throughout the years, me and Mark have heard it all. Trust me, we have heard it all. Some of them absolutely brilliant and some of them have gone on to be huge businesses. Some of the ideas have been absolutely terrible. And we've had to literally say, that's a terrible idea. Please don't do that. You know, there's no way that we can literally go to sleep tonight if we take your money. Yeah, we can't take your money. That's a terrible <laughs> with, idea. With idea. Stop um, spending you know, money and go back to your job. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the point of it is, is that what's so rewarding about it is the fact that people are able to share these ideas with you and be able to talk to, talk to you about your business and just ultimately being able to help them and, and being able to guide them through that process. And that in itself is what makes the job so great. And that's yeah. what... You know, now now that we've we've sort of scaled, now that we're up to six thousand members, you know, we've instead of me and Mark being the account managers, we've got a team of well, before this all started, you know, we we, we had a bigger team, but we've got a team of account managers. Um We still do, they just found like still doing that. Still, Sorry guys, you've still got your jobs if you're listening. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> this is a bit of a bad way to find out. I could get already wrong. What I mean is just, you know, unfortunately, we've had to furlough staff like many businesses have whilst this, you know, whilst this is um, whilst this crisis is, is just going on until this blows over. But, you know, those account managers are, you know, really, you know, that I, I like to think that they get and I know they do because they tell me and that they get exactly the same sense of reward from the fact that you are literally helping people. There's something really, really, you know, strong and and great. Yeah. I'm. I'm still like. I can give you a list of people that I'm proud of. Like literally giving one silly little bit of advice to, um, you know, just to like just for being there at that moment when they asked that that question, uh, that have gone and done done amazing things. We had, I did a talk at UCB, um, and this girl came up to me afterwards and she's like, "Can I?" She's really timid and she was like, "Can I just ask you a question?" Um, and you're gonna think it's a stupid idea, um. And like, just tell me just to go away if if, if it's rubbish. I was like, just you know, just tell me the idea. Um, and she said, I I, I want to sell posh porridge, uh, and uh, at D, at Digwood Dining Club. And I said, well, it won't work at Digwood Dining Club, but that is an absolutely brilliant idea. Um, and that's and she's now her business is Morridge. Um, she was in the process of opening a cafe. I don't know if she managed to get it open before the lockdown, uh, but she has a, a porridge unit. Uh, a trike, I think it's Great Western Arcade, um, yeah, usually. Yes. And you know, she had an absolutely fantastic idea. She was a, you know, she's a a chef, a trained chef. She's fantastic in the kitchen. She can do pretty much anything. Um, but she just had this idea of just doing something really simple and lovely and affordable, but that could be made into anything you wanted it to be with a bit of creativity. Uh, but what she hadn't thought about was my market is actually office workers at eight in the morning it's not people pre-club or post post work at digwood dining club they want something a bit different and it was just you know she thought it was a bad idea but, but in some way she wanted to work it turned out it was a great idea but she just needed to tweet where she was going to do it and, and I, it was just a conversation and she's done all of the work but i feel very proud that she's gone on to achieve so much and you know, every so often i run into her i have a chat with her and you know she's you know she's she's loving life or she, she was before i haven't spoken to her since the, the pandemic but um you know i think there's there's loads of people like that and i think it almost used to be a you know, if you're going to succeed in street food one one idea was to take me and Al for a pint before you got started because we went for beers with people like opm can I, can I just say at that point that's exactly, low and slow. That's exactly no that's exactly what tommy from opm did i remember the day that tommy from original patty man called me up his i was just like you're a tom and he was working at fashion at the time and he's like yeah i need i was going to do a scottish accent but i'm not going to try it i need, yeah, to, <laughs> need a need a changing need a changing career i was like okay okay what, what are you thinking of doing he's like oh i'm thinking of selling burgers and we went out for a pint in prince of wales and mosey that day and we talked about it and you know um yeah like literally within about and this obviously i'm not taking any credit whatsoever but you know within about six weeks the guy was well, you know, all, not, not not too much long after was you know was up and running and look at those guys now you know they're they're literally an institute in Birmingham. You know, yeah, people have raw ideas and they can be absolutely brilliant. They just need a little bit of tweaking, but they also need to know that it's a good idea. Um, that's, that's what we're there for. We're just there to to help support people, tell them what they you know can and can't be doing, and you know hopefully you know be able to give some 
um, some tips as to and, and some you know share some ideas as to maybe the, the right way to go about things. And like I said, I think you know things to consider. It's you know the, the whole point of that is it's just really it's really great to see. It's really great to be a part of that, and um, it's really you know really rewarding essentially. It's nice you kind of get to share in on their success a little bit. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, We've kind of alluded to a couple of times and like the reason we're not sitting face to face and recording like we usually do is obviously this COVID-19 nightmare thing. <laughs> yeah. um, what's the mood in the camp with all the members? How is it? Uh it's not pretty to be honest uh buddy it's there's a huge amount of worry and concern and to be honest quite frankly distress you know from a lot of people that are really really you know just crapping themselves and understandably so they don't know i think this is a really bad timing for me because ben from little blackwood just turned up with a grocery delivery and some wine when you said <laughs> ben, legend. and i was like oh turning out to be pretty good <laughs> but yeah the covid thing is a nightmare sorry go on um yeah there's just a lot of people that are really understandably unsure as to what they should be doing what they can be doing um what what uh financial support they uh can access um you know whether or not they can trade yeah, decimated there's, there's the no whole set. No beating around the bush, you know. Like it, you know, the question was, how has it affected our members? It's, it's, um, it goes well and beyond that. COVID has, you know, absolutely devastated the whole hospitality sector, the whole hospitality industry. Sorry, it's just, um, yeah, it's been, it's been it's massively, been massively impactful. It's been brutal, exactly, Mark. Um, yeah. There's a lot of really, really, really upset and, and worried people out there. We work with festival caterers who've all basically poured all of their savings into pitch fees for events that now won't take place. Um, will they get that money back? There's no guarantees. You know, we've got, and and where will they earn a, a living from? Uh, we've got street food events, mass gatherings and band. Um, and we've got, um, and unlike restaurants, we haven't got any grants uh we didn't get the self-employed support was pretty well we, we we just missed the net on that one and then um yeah i mean I, it, in terms of where is the industry at i mean it's, it's on its knees it doesn't exist you know there's there's no yeah. uh money in any restaurants you know apart from what's been pumped in by the government so in terms of you know how's the mood in the camp it kind of depends on the, the individual <laughs> um yeah. sad, but i mean i think that um it, it's been shock and fear uh, but i think now it's kind of people are kind of looking at it going okay how do we work with this how do we work through it how do we you know what does the future hold and and can we influence our, our own destinies in the, on this but i think it's going to have massive massive impact for a significant amount of time on the hospitality and the events industry i think the restaurant industry is um in trouble if they can't sort out uh you know uh rents and also vat when that comes around in early 2021 uh i think a lot of businesses will voluntarily close um they might reappear again very quickly uh, but i think a lot of restaurants um could, could close in terms of our sector um the fact that we somehow managed to miss all of the safety nets that were offered and there were some pretty big and generous safety nets offered by the government. Um, it's kind of galvanized people and made them feel a bit like the underdog, a bit like they've been forgotten or like they've been overlooked. So we've kind of got something to fight for. Um, Sorry, Matt, in what sense do you say they were a mistake? Would a lot of the trainers well, be self-employed, but so, probably didn't start, yeah. don't have like two years worth of accounts and stuff? Well, I mean, when I, I spoke to... Um, business minister two weeks ago about this very issue and i said there isn't an accountant in this country that wouldn't advise a self-employed person to pay themselves 10 grand in wages and the rest in dividends if an accountant didn't advise you to do that if you're self-employed they're probably they probably need sacking um yeah i understand yeah. you know how could um how can the government not accept dividends uh maybe up to a certain point but not accept dividends 
uh, as as part of people's earnings. Um, yeah, that's a, a sort of perfectly uh, well used scheme and has been around forever. Um, so that's the self-employed thing. So a lot of people are looking at it and going, "Oh, well, they've been pocketing money and not selling a Batman." Um, but actually, there are there are reasons such as the one that you said. You know, people haven't got the accounts, or you know, they've they can do three months trading, which is three quietest months, so compared to you know what's happened before. You know what what they expect in the summer. Um, but yeah, it's also down to the fact that just the way that it's been set up prevents a lot of people who thought they should be covered from from actually getting anything from it. So we've got a lot of people, a lot of customers who are earning less than their staff at the moment, their furloughed staff. You mentioned the dividend. Um, so could, I mean, is there I anything it, else that you could? I mean, there's a couple of big. So a lot of the guys that have gone into restaurants are subletting, um, and so they're paying the business rates as part of their rent. And that's going to the landlord who's then passing that on in, in their rates. Um, but that means that they're not on the rates register, so they're not paying rates. So they're not so they are paying rates, but they're not eligible for the, the cash that, that other restaurants have had. A lot of our guys are finding that um uh it has to be a retail hospitality business. So if you've got uh, a lockup with 10 catering trailers and a prep kitchen and a storage area and some office area in it that's not considered uh, a hospitality business uh, according to the, um, the the definition of some local authorities. So, um, yeah, loads of people thought that they were getting grants and didn't. And if you're a mobile caterer, you know, if, you're, if you're a gazebo trader and you keep your stuff in a in a lockup when you're not trading or, a, you know, quite often they kept in lockups by the markets or kept at home, you have no business premises, you are paying no business rates and therefore no one in the, um, uh, you know, very few people in the street food industry or the events catering industry would have got anything like any grants at all. Um, so, yeah, so while hospitality has restaurants and takeaways have got money, furlough money, uh, rate and, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, business rate suspensions and VAT suspensions and all kinds of things, uh, we've got nowhere to trade, uh, we've got no money, um, yeah. And we can't get any. So we've had to um, hustle new ways for our guys to get out and trade. So uh, that's that's currently what the mood in the camp is at NCAS and, and amongst many of our customers. It's, you know, we're a hardy bunch and we're not going to let this take us down. We're going to hustle and we're going to argue and we're going to shout and we're going to um, demand the right to trade. Uh, even if we don't get money, we, we want to be able to get out there and work. Um, and, and do what we do best, which is feed people. Um, so, are you actually an NCAS lobbying, like going out and actually doing something? Well, we're not going or... out, but we are definitely. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Bad, but uh, bad yeah, we're doing a lot of lobbying from home. Um, and yeah, we speak uh, through the prime authority arrangement we have um, that's run by the Department of Business. And um, so, we are, uh, we have strong links into the Department of Business, and obviously, we have strong links into the Food Standards Agency. And, and 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 certain other departments so you know we can we can talk to senior civil servants we can uh, get the ear of, of ministers from time to time and they are very aware of the problems we face and i think that we're tr we're trying to be um we're not criticizing the government at all at the moment um because we think they're trying and that this is an unprecedented event and you know trying to uh you know, fill up a bucket and then fill all the holes in at the same time is, is pretty tricky. And they've had, you know, a couple of weeks to save the economy. And uh, I think they, that there are things that they just overlooked. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's also important to say as well, Mark, that, you know, there, there have been, you know, you know, some members have been able to access, you know, quite well. We've done surveys based upon this. We've done surveys out to members to find out who's, um, who's accessible for the, the measures that have been introduced, etc. And, you know, there are a lot of people, um, not a majority, but there are a lot of people that have been, up to, have been able to access some form of support. Um, in particular, the one issue which Mark sort of talked about there, which has been, um, yeah, which is the bit, which is the grants for those that, uh, that pay business rates based upon their premises. Um, there's a lot of our guys that slip the net on that. Although, you know, it is certainly worth mentioning that, uh, Wales last week introduced um, something uh, called the Economic Resilience Fund, um, which does go, you know, sort of sidestep that issue of the business rates um, and does enable uh, 
businesses, so those members that are in Wales, um, do have access to grants now as long as they're above the VAT, uh, the VAT threshold of uh, of eighty five k. Yeah, and I, I do. I want to point out as well that there has been a tool that's been introduced today on the government website. I think it was today. Um, in terms of for those people that are still confused out there or still are unsure as to what they do qualify and not, there is now now a tool on the government website, which basically is an online questionnaire, which essentially you fill out and it will tell you um, there and then. So, so say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might not do. I trialed it earlier. It's been us, by the way. <laughs> the, the, the point is for me, though, is that there still is a, a large majority of members that still have slipped the net. And that has been a real focus for us in terms of our work and our efforts and, and our lobbying in terms of government. Because like Mark said, I do. it's obviously incredibly complicated what, what they're trying to do and what they've done so far. And, you know, hats off to the, the government for what they have done so far. But we, you know, we're essentially pointing out where people have slipped the net. Um, and sort of saying, look, we can't just let these guys just fall by the wayside. You know, it's just not fair. Um, so, you know, that's that's where we are, really. Yeah, but the, the government, you know, they are, they are definitely listening. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we are, fingers crossed, we're, we're hoping we should be in the news very soon. But you know, until it happens, we we, we don't know. But, um, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely listening to us and, and, and giving us the impression they understand and that they care. So. Um, I'm not so worried about that at the moment. I think that if it takes too long, then businesses will go to all anyway, and you know, the money won't be able to save them if it turns up in two or three or four weeks' time. Um, but I think for us, it's a case of if we can trade safely, then we would like to be able to go out and trade. Um, you know, it's, it's actually quite tricky to get uh, good food at the moment for a lot of people, and um, even if you've got money, you know, you, I, think I went on one of the apps the other day. I think Ali did the same. And there was like only four restaurants serving on like Friday or Saturday night on one of these big, you know, multinational apps. Um, so there's obviously a lot of businesses not selling food or they're or they're, or they're not using the apps. But I think that a lot of these restaurants are shut for the time being. Um, and if you don't want to cook your own dinner one night, um, you know, maybe having six thousand or ten thousand mobile caterers available for for takeaway or delivery uh, could fill fill some of that gap. So um, my focus is can we get out trading? And as long as we ensure everyone does it completely safely, um, I don't see why we can't be out working at public car parks or from an industrial estate, uh, private land, that kind of thing. I don't see any reason. I would say the demand's definitely there. I mean, yeah, everyone wants a treat and they the weekend. Everyone's sick of cooking all their own foods and their banana bread and their sourdough and they want something for the weekend like a proper treat that's what i think anyway i've been trying to have something every weekend but saturday as you said i'm really struggling to get out of something so you say you can still like i'm thinking like and we've mentioned opm quite a bit but they've obviously got the mobile opm pitched up in sturchley so if you don't live within three miles of the digbeth restaurant you can still order if you're in three miles of Sturchley. I think that's such a good idea. What, what do you think alarm, that though, more... They set out so quickly. Yeah, it's a night. Uh, yeah, I say that. I still haven't been able to get hold of one because yeah, if you've yeah. you not got the order by six o'clock, you're not getting fed. But, but why can <laughs> is there something stopping like everyone doing that or more yeah. traders doing that? Yeah. So the there's a rule against street trading, and it's. It's not really fit for purpose when there isn't a, 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 a pandemic on, but at the moment it's just it's, it's just a, a, a non-goer really. Um, the, the the rules basically say that, and Digwood Dining Club had problems with this, um, a similar version of it way way back when we got accused of running a market by the council, illegally running a market by the council. And um, basically, if you own some land and you put a burger van on it, and someone could walk from the road onto that piece of land and buy a burger off you, uh, then basically the council considers that piece of land that you own a road and can charge you a licence fee and even deny you planning permission for having your burger van there or, or whatever the food unit might be, um, unless it's seven metres away and there's a gate preventing the public from getting in. And that's the rule before there was social distancing. So, um, and if you want that changed, you basically have to put in a planning application 
uh, and a licensing application which costs money and takes three months in normal times uh, but there's no one working in planning because they've all been moved to other positions uh, to help in the covid uh, fight so and there's yeah there's not there's people in the market teams the people in the street trading teams they've all pretty much been moved on and are just covering emails so um yeah the, the current way that the system is being interpreted is not helpful but uh, local authorities do get to interpret it in, in a way they see fit so we're we're hoping for some new advice to come out from government in the, in the next few few days um or maybe week or two uh that that sort of gives great clarity and it enables councils to to let traders get out there and trade um and is that still the case if you not like you can't just walk up to the van like you have to order over delivery or just eats or something is that still... well I, I think I mean those the apps um are obviously very convenient but they um they're, they're quite expensive to use if you're a caterer so uh, and people don't necessarily know how long this is going to go on for um so you know investing in you know one of these apps and all that goes with it for something that might only last six to eight weeks uh, a lot of people are just thinking I, I, I don't want to do that um and you know 30 percent on some of these these apps is significant amount of money um yeah. it's more profit than the, than the business is making so yeah. you know um i think a lot of people are going to do click and collect so just get some uh, yeah a cheap sort of uh till system uh for their website and people order what food they want and uh they get given a time to come and collect it and yeah you you, you come up at when you're uh, you're not in time slot grab the food and, and off you go but i think that certainly during covid uh we're recommending that food businesses only use cashless uh and and delivery as well delivery is by far the safest way to to you know to produce and, and get food to people right now um, it depends how good your delivery driver is, really. <laughs> I mean, I think some of these guys, um, you know, we can, I complained about one of them to Tommy from OPM and he went back to the app and complained to them and then they called us. So I don't want to, you know, um, but yeah, I think that if you do it, you need to have two metres separation. So what we're basically suggesting is that you order your food, the food trailer is there, but there's a table ideally under a gazebo two metres from the trailer or from the catering business and then the food either gets uh put on the table for you before you get called up uh, and then the caterer goes back to the unit or they come up with some funky hook and pole system so they can whip the food over there uh, onto the table without moving um but yeah it's, it's for, for, the, for the foreseeable the safest way to do it is to um have that two meter separation and also to try it really hard not to have this situation where you've got people queuing up for half a mile down the street at, at two meter intervals um because i think that the police will get annoyed with that eventually and it's not necessarily that safe so i think that uh, finding ways of effectively managing that crowd and the distance between the people in that crowd so that they pick up their food and go straight away um so one of the problems we've had in in london is that grocers are allowed to open on them on the on the street markets because they're selling groceries but hot food businesses aren't because they encourage people to loiter so the big unsaid concern really is that you know if opm sets up in Sturtsley and they put some music on and people start queuing up how far are you away from a party and you know if that starts happening everywhere then you the lockdown falls apart so i think that they're kind of thinking in those kinds of terms we don't want to encourage people onto the streets um so we're trying to push it that if people are coming onto the streets it's, it's a it's a collection job not a um not a wait in the road and not a party uh, ultimately any... what, it, what it comes down to is if you're planning on trading get the permission you know of whoever it may be that you need to get seek the permission of get the permission before you start doing it so with opm they've got the permission of you know the, the uh, of uh Oh uh, gosh, I've forgotten the name of the pub. What's the name British of the pub? Shade. Yeah, British, British Shade. They've got the permission to be there. And if you're trading, you know, the difference is, like Mark says, public, private land. Um, you need the permission of where you're going to be trading before you do it. So you know, our advice is definitely get that because otherwise you'll probably find yourself in you know, a spot of bother. I was chatting to Flying Cows on Friday, Dan from Flying Cows. 
And I've been I basically spent half an hour trying to get him to pull up his van outside my house. <laughs> like, I think you should find some spare land and then like nominate your favourite trader and try and get them to come and open up the house. Can I, can I just say at this point, Liam, sorry to interrupt Mark, but literally Mark, what was it, about, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, Mark didn't actually even like burgers. Um, no. All of a sudden now, what, you, you, what you've changed. No, it's longer ago than that. It's like, so I, I hadn't eaten a burger in three years and then I had um, a burger with the Brit, first ever British Street Food Awards off Yanni um and it absolutely blew my mind and yeah yanni is meat liquor by the way for anyone yeah yeah, yeah and um and, and we've been there for like three days hadn't we because we, we were doing the health and safety and sort of the the trader management just to help out um the guy that ran the awards um who's kind of setting up street food at the time um and uh yeah i just kind of seen these queues the only guy I had any queues no one went to this event it was a massive washout um and so we ended up eating loads of great food, but no one else was there really. But the only place that was busy all weekend was with Burger Guy. And you could just hear people coming away going, this is amazing, it's amazing. Um, I was like, well, I get diver caught scallops with a bit of celeriac mash over there, why would I go get a burger? Um, yeah, and I had this, this Yanni burger and it just, I'm pretty much eating every day now. I think a Yanni burger, was like, like, Yanni, Yanni burger was life changing for most people, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. It? Like, Yanni was also, you know, yeah, I don't know if we should get too much into this, but Yanni was also like almost the beginning of street food, certainly. Um, yeah, he was, yeah, he was the whole cause of gorilla dining. He was the one that he was the guy that sort of started, um, you know, in terms of what it meant, in terms he of broke the law. yeah, building a profile on social media and using his Twitter followers to basically approach pubs, um, and just say, Look, you know, I've got nowhere to trade, I can't get a street trading license, let me trade in your car park if you do then I'll bring 200 guaranteed people to your pub today that will drink your booze. And the pub was like, all right then. Yeah. And then before you know it, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you had meat liquor. <laughs> yeah. so. But there, there was like, um, there was like some old law that had kind of, no one had remembered to get rid of that enabled him to trade in Italy. So like he was allowed to, it was, I think peddlers used it and like some, I think like travelers use it for some, like for some things. Uh, we used to, and then like people just stopped, stopped using it. But basically, he was when he set up, he went into a car park in Peckham, and he just moved the parking space once every twenty-eight days. Because if you had to, <laughs> if you moved within twenty-eight days, I think that's why the travellers used it. If you moved within twenty-eight days, you didn't have to get licenses and do various other things. You could just set up and sell some food and move on. Um, and he just completely um, took the Mickey out of that rule and just moved one meter a month for like twelve months. <laughs> To the council were just like we can get rid of this law. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, then he had to go yeah, he had to go into one of the pubs. But you know, that was that was a that was the beginning of street food really for us. Um mostly because it was like reimagining something that we already knew. And I think that, you know, when street food first hit London and hit Birmingham, it was all about, you know, you've deconstructed you know, uh, something you loved when you were kids because you didn't know better and it's just full of flavour but it's actually a McDonald's burger or whatever um, and you get older and go that's actually just not very good and then someone just takes that apart and puts it back together with you know thinking about every component of it and how to produce it and how to cook it and all of that thrown in and just creates this perfect burger and it's just like wow you know I didn't think this food could be this good and then you know we had People doing a hot dog, people doing a pizza, and like the first wave of street food was just people doing way better versions of stuff that you loved when you were a kid. Um, using suppliers, the same suppliers that like top restaurants were using. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they, they they really knew their stuff. Um, yeah, the best street food traders now, you know, work with the best suppliers, and some of them are some really fantastic and you know, innovative chefs. For me, a lot of it came like 2008, you know, like when that the um, financial crash and then like a lot of people just lost their jobs and decided to try and pursue pursue something else. Or I yeah. It seemed to, in my mind, that's what it seemed, when it really seemed to come about, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think, it, I, used to, I used to live in London back then and it was, I used to call it like recession chic. It was all about, you know, we've, you know, we've, we don't know, what our future holds, you know, and the corporations don't know what they're doing and yeah, everything's screwed. 
So let's make our own fund that's affordable and just covers the stuff that we want to do. And so, you know, it was just, it was food parties in warehouses, you know, just call it meat raves or session sheep or, you know, it was just basically block yeah. parties and, and warehouse parties, but with really good food. Yeah, that's how I remember it as well. It's you know, and it, it was awesome, you know, and that, that, that vibe that you used to get when you first went to, if you ever a rave or a rave, when it, you know, that, that, when you first start getting into a new scene, it was like, wow. This is really, you know, interesting and uh, innovative. And I've, I just, you know, these people just aren't doing things the way they're meant to do them. They're doing things their own way and it's working for them. And it, yeah, it was um, pretty inspiring, inspirational. It was, it was good fun to be part of, definitely. Um, yeah. That's a nice little street food story for us there. Um, I probably want to just like, before we finish the podcast, I want to get onto some of the, the positives that we spoke about before we started recording obviously it, there's a lot of negativity with COVID-19 and what's going on and obviously it's awful but there is a few people doing some great things still I mean there's a street food trader seem to be doing a lot with the feed the NHS or a, the name of the NHS charity now has just escaped me and I didn't write it down but uh, meals meals for the NHS that's that's it meals for the NHS like street food seems to be massive into that like um do you want to share a few of the kind of success stories and people doing good things we we're now on the procurement list for the NHS for the COVID crisis so that's been one of our main lobbying uh, aims because we've thought well if every food business is shutting very bricks and mortar food business is shutting and all the canteens are shutting and we've basically got an industry with 10,000 mobile mobile catering businesses ready to be anywhere uh, and all of a sudden they got nothing to do this summer um so so we yeah, we proposed pretty much straight away that, that, the, that the industry get taken on in some sense to, to provide support for the nhs and other key workers um that are out there um you know trying to trying to either fight covid or, or keep people alive and safe and, and fed so yeah we've got some guys up in um Derby who just started, um, they're doing seven or ten days on ten days off uh, outside the Derby Royal Infirmary, um, and they're doing I think it's eight hundred meals a day for NHS staff. Um, but we're hoping that you know um, that we're going to get picked for a few gigs from you know, from these hospitals. Now that, that was, uh, do you want to give them a name drop? Just might as well drop their name as they're doing something really good. Is it? I mean, Disco Fries, um, yeah, just absolutely smashed it out of the park. And the way he changed it up is he um, he phoned up Jack from Deadwood Dining Club and was like, the self-employed stuff just come out. I've just quit my job. My missus just quit her job. We're basically not going to be earning any money. And we've gone from you know, a whole summer worth of profitable bookings to we don't know what our future holds and it looks bleak, but it looks bleak. And then chat to Jack, chat to people, chat to us. Um, and then... I was going to chat to him on Monday, after, that was a Thursday, so I was going to chat to him on the Monday, and then Tuesday I got a phone call from Jack and goes, yeah, he's changed up his food, he's now doing like really healthy, nutritious food, um, they've got a gig for four of them outside a hospital, and, and, they're, and they're cracking on with it, and you know, and yeah, that's, it's just amazing to see the hustle and the determination and, you know, brushing himself off and getting up, and, 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 and his wife, sorry, uh, Mrs., um, and, and just cracking on and, and just making it happen for themselves. I think that we're going to see that more and more and more. Um, and we're hoping to facilitate that as well because our guys, our guys love to cook and a lot of them are, are very good cooks. And, um, you know, in the middle of a crisis, we need uh, comforting food and we need healthy food. And I think street food is really well placed to be able to support that. And, and even like um, mass catering through event caterers, things like that. But um I'll, I'll name I'll name drop some for you, Liam. Um, so, like, yeah, interesting line with what Mark said. Obviously, we've got the guys that are out there doing really great work for the NHS, which is really great. So, in either in conjunction with the meals for the NHS, or they maybe even sorted it out for themselves. So, you know, absolutely kudos to them, hats off. Um, but you've also got the guys as well, um, like the Dick Smokehouse. You've got Low and Slow. Um, obviously, OPM that we've mentioned, uh, Beef on the Block. And these are just names off the top of my head, but. Um, just from you know following obviously the, Indiana doing some crazy stuff doing delivery. It would, yeah, yeah, just following their profiles on social media. These guys were all pivoting as well, which is really, really great to see. Like these guys are just using their 
you know, using their, literally taking the initiative and just looking at what, what can we do? What can we do? You know, what, what options are available to us? So whether or not that is delivering hot food, whether or not it's delivering ready meals, whether or not it's doing DIY kits, you know, we are seeing the best of, of what, what we're seeing really right now which is really exciting for me is the adaptability of mobile catering um and it's not just street food it's you know it's your event caterers it's you know even the you know even your sort of pitch trade as well your classic sort of burger guys everyone is stepping up and adapting and 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 you know adapting to this new world that we are now living in and saying right you know i'm not just going to chuck in the towel that's not an option so what can we do and you know they've got their following on social media. They've got their yeah, they've got their regular buyers, and they're ultimately, I, I suppose, in some ways, fans, supporters. And they're saying, right, well, you know, they're almost putting it out there and saying, you know, do you want us to continue trading? Everyone's putting their hand up and saying, damn yes, you know, damn too right we do. And they're saying, okay, well, you know, how about we do this? I like a dick smoke out. Uh, yeah, dick smokehouse dropped off last week, and it's just such good value for twenty five quid. Um, and you know, it's uh, from my point of view, it's really, really just exciting and encouraging to see that. And um, in line with that, we'll support those traders in whatever that means and whatever they need. So you know, we've done a COVID compliancy pack, which is all the latest sort of documentation that they need in order to you know comply with all the the, the regulations in terms of delivery and and this, that, and the other. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, just to end it on a positive i think that is the one thing about our industry about our sector about mobile catering is that these guys have the ability this is what they've done for the last 20 years you know how many if you ask a restaurant to go and set up in a field tomorrow you know they just wouldn't have a clue um you know unless they've been in this game before whereas mobile caterers that's what they do they're able to adapt to your menu they're able to you know turn up quickly they're able to literally cook without any access to energy you know the self-sufficient and yeah this is the adaptability the versatility and the beauty of of what i think mobile catering in the sector is it's just being able to do what's required when it's required and just and get it done and you know it's, it's really great to see how many traders are adapting and what we're noticing is that more and more you know there was a at first when this all started to kick off um there was a real obvious reluctance or hesitation from a lot of people as to what they should or shouldn't be doing um and that's potentially like from you know from a legal point of view from a moral point of view um and also because they're not sure whether or not the public or their you know their regular customers wanted it and that is now starting to change that tide you know that we're seeing a you know a, um the pendulum sort of swing on that and it, like you said liam you know like you you, you were sort of wonder like you said about people wanting a weekend to have a treat like mark said in terms of the, the you know there is because the restaurants are closed there is a reduced um you know offering on some of the platforms now and i just see traders not just street food traders you know caterers being able to fill that market and be able to do it well um and safely and i think that's blooming great i think you know you know the, the economy's gone through a massive shock, you know, and a lot of institutions and things that we thought would always be there are like falling away. Um, and I think, you know, kind of dream big. There's At the moment, there's a guy driving around East London with an ice cream van selling um, gourmet cheese and great wine. You know, it's Amazing. an improvement on the economy before. You know, if we could have someone just driving around selling you beautiful things. You know, so I think, you know, with every tragedy like this, there will be, you know, there will, there'll be good ingenuity, ingenuity. Yeah. It? It's just like literally, yeah, yeah. So I think that you know we're in a we're in a good position because our guys are adaptable by nature. Um, so I think that if they're bold enough, they can, you know, people can develop a, you know, so can put some ideas out there that can turn into something really amazing, and um, they'd they'd be. Maybe, maybe foolish to assume that things would just go back to how they were before, um, and if they just hold tight. And I think that's why I'm more worried about restaurants than I am about um, mobile caterers. I think that you know they will adapt, but restaurants might might struggle if the if, if society changes in how they want to consume food or or, or entertain themselves. So, um, yeah. but yeah, keeping it positive, I think that you know we're going to keep trading and and we're going to keep developing and and selling amazing food. 
And you know, the, the longer this goes on, the more people will find innovative and amazing ways of doing that. Um, and also, you know, even your favourite restaurants that are shut, you know, keep in contact with them because all of them now are um, are kind of doing uh, grocery services and the food that they buy that sells you on a plate is far higher quality than you're getting from a supermarket. So, you know, I've yeah. got a little a, a delivery from Little Blackwood. You know, I'm going to be eating restaurant quality food tonight. Um, <laughs> admittedly, not cooked in restaurant quality, but, um, but certainly the produce. And I think that, you know, go out there and support these small businesses. Don't queue up to get inside supermarkets. Call your local restaurant, order your favourite wine and your favourite raw, raw ingredients. You know, get them delivered and, and you know, get, get hold of your local street food traders and see if they'll, you know, if you get hold of something hot as well. You can even get blooming cocktails delivered now. Do you know what I mean? There's a, I think that's starting this weekend, isn't it? Couch. Very, very good cocktail bar in Sturchley that uh, is starting selling, I think it was like 50 centilitres in litre. Um, yeah, a litre of Negroni. <laughs> I, I bought that on the night they closed. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I think just in terms of what you're saying, Liam, that, yeah, without, with uh, fear, fear of repeating myself here, but yeah, I think, yeah, the adaptability of mobile catering is, um, yeah, I think th there's a lot of people there that are just wondering what they can do. And I think you just have to sort of look at what, what those around you are doing. Um, and you know, sort of, it's it's easy. Do you know what? It's easy for us to say this in cities. It's much more difficult when you're in more rural areas, and you know where the, the challenges that you know that that that, um, that that poses. I mean, if you take my brother, for instance, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, and I realise you want to finish him, so apologies. But no, it's fine. Carry on. Brother, where my brother lives in Redditch, you know, I mean, look at the situation in Redditch right now. I mean, in in. Most of the restaurants have closed. I think there's only one or two uh, traders operating, which are takeaways. So if you want to get a takeaway in, in Redditch right now, from what I understand, what he's telling me, it's, like it's something like a two to three hour wait for like the only Indian takeaway. And I think that's where street food traders can really step in. To, you know what I mean? Like street food traders, if they're just able to set up um, somewhere on a car park, you know, you know, put a, put a good street food trader there and, and, allow them to do a delivery model why can't they you're, you're not just thinking what's happened to the world if you've got to wait two to three hours for a curry in the midlands <laughs> you know what i mean that's, that's almost always be illegal in this part of the world you know like it, it's, a, it's a birthright to be able to get curry in the midlands it's not you know I, 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 you know that, that's that's why we need more mobile catering out there you know, exactly. i agree definitely agree is that a good place to finish um no, I think that's that's pretty cool. If you're if you're happy with all of that, yeah, it seems to me good, good, good to finish on that on that point. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to finish on a positive. I 